you have a Bible, uh, if you'll turn with me to the book of Exodus, we're going to begin in Exodus 34. We're going to be in the Psalms. We're going to be a little bit in the New Testament today. As today is part 10 of a sermon series of God's family values, uh, we've been making our way looking at God's word and seeing what are his values for his family. We've seen some tough things, some really controversial things. And let me say, if you've missed some of these, you can pick them up on our website, on YouTube, on our podcast. Um, it's great to be reminded of what are God's family values. And it's so important for us because by God's grace and the work of his son, Jesus, that we can be brought into his family, that we really can be not just forgiven and free, but adopted. I mean, that's a great truth, that we are brought into the family and loved. We are declared his. What good news. I hope and pray that each of you have experienced that either online or here. The joy of knowing I'm a part of the family. I'm a part of God's family. How absolutely amazing and gracious is God that he loves me that much. But being a part of a family uh, really makes us want to embrace, or we need to embrace God's family values. What God values, we should value. Uh, and that should be really uh, a privilege for us because we are a part of the family. It's a privilege for us to love him and embrace what he embraces. But there's also responsibilities. Where responsibilities, how do we live those things out? We are to value and embrace what God values and embrace. Uh, and he has revealed to us in his word what he values. Uh, really important church, really important family. We are not to cherry pick, pick and choose the things that God values and the things that we don't. Uh, we aren't in that position to say, I like those and I don't like these. If God has revealed it to us, that this is of value to him, it should become of value to us. Uh, we've learned uh, last week that all of these values are held together by our great God. They're not silos, they're not separate values, uh, but they are woven and webbed together to reveal who our God is. And I gave you a uh, heuristic device, which is a learning tool last week to help you understand how all of God's values are webbed together. Does anybody remember what we talked about? Please tell me, please. Snowshoes, thank you, my dear, lovely wife. Read the cards. So snowshoes. So we talked about, I know you're Floridians, you have no idea about snowshoes, but snowshoes are, are, are made so that you could walk through the snow and not fall through. And there, there are these webs that connect uh, together that kind of distribute the weight that you can walk through snow so you don't fall through. And so we got to make sure that we do that same thing, that we connect all these values of God together. It's so important so we don't fall through. Because oftentimes the church, oftentimes we'll take a value that we like and we'll hang on to that and we'll forget some other ones and we get into some dark places. We slip through the ice and we got to make sure we hold them all together, that we're not snuffing out some of God's values and embracing others. But what do we do when some of the values seem to contradict one another? Uh, what is a, an apparent contradiction? It is, what's the term of that? An oxymoron, what a smart congregation, very good. The things that you are learning today, snowshoe, oxymoron. An oxymoron is a term where it's an apparent contradiction. Two things that say are true, how can they be true together? And so some people, when you look at God's values, that it might appear to be a bit of an oxymoron or, or, or to uh, oppose one another. Some people are choosing some of God's values and they're snuffing out other values. 
Let me give you an example. One of the values of God is that God is love. God is love. That's so good to know, right? I mean, everybody loves the fact that God is love. But somebody will say that God is love trumps everything else. So love is love is love. But we also see that God is just. And so what does it mean for us that God is just? Well, some who just forget the loving part and see that God is just, they might say, God hates sinners, and we should too. Uh, maybe the people who just know that God is just, they probably make angry signs. And they probably make angry signs saying that God hates these kind of people. Well, they've forgotten that God is love. Um, but you can't have one without the other. we got to hold them together. God's values reveal God's character. They always do. And again, I think I've said it a few times, we can't cherry pick the ones we like and throw away the ones we don't. Let me hit pause. Are you doing that? Because I know that there's some values that God has, some characteristics that you like probably more than others. And even when God's values seem to contradict, something like mercy and justice, we need to embrace them. Church, we need to embrace them now. Because right now we're living in a time where people are so confused of what is up and what is down, what is right and what is wrong, what is light and what is darkness. I mean, the world right now is in so confusion, wants to redefine so many things that we hold dear and that we value. And the world will even take certain things of a characteristic of God and hold it up so high, say that everything else is pale comparison to this. But we can't do that. If God is revealed to us by his word and spirit, who he is, and if he values love, we must value love. And if he values mercy, we must value mercy. And if he values justice, we must value justice as well. We must embrace them. So this morning... We're looking at two family values together, two that oftentimes seem to be co uh, contrasting one another, oxymoron, so to speak, mercy and justice. We're going to look at those two together because it's so important because a lot of times people just want to talk about God's love or just talk about God's justice. But to understand them, you got to have them both side by side. So here's what we're going to do. Put your seatbelts on. We're going to look at this. We're going to go deep into God's word. Um, there's four kind of, kind of headings I want to look at. One is this, God's family values are revealed in God's character. Makes sense, right? God's family values are revealed in his character. If you know who God is, uh, you're going to know more what he values. Secondly, God's mercy and justice are revealed in his word. Thirdly, God's mercy and justice is revealed in his son. You're going to see something about Jesus, I bet, that you may not have seen before. Now, that's a pretty big, bold statement that you probably don't emphasize. I'm really excited about it. But God's mercy and justice are revealed in his son. And then lastly, God's mercy and justice is revealed through his people, us. So let's look to God's word. Uh, we're going to look at a couple things this morning um, as the reading of God's word. We're going to start off in the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus, I'm going to look at two verses, and then we're going to skip to Psalm 145. Uh, many traditions do this. We don't do it enough here. Out of reverence for God's word, if you are willing and able, will you stand and let me read God's word? Let's hear the word of the Lord. I'm actually going to pick up a verse before and a verse after and pick up in verse 5 and read through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, him being Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you have given them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every little living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. My mouth will speak the praises of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. And God, now I ask, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, give us ears to hear your voice. God, give us minds that can understand your word. God, would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth? And would you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name? God, the things that I say that are wrong or just my opinion, let those things just fall away and be forgotten. But God, the things that are said today that reveal your justice and your mercy, that reveal your gospel, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. All right, the first thing you're going to see is God's family values are revealed in God's character, right? As God reveals to us through creation, through his word, his character, we're able to see who he is. And God's word, this Bible, uh, reveals to us who, God's word, who God is. Uh, God's word reveals to us his character. And he's going to reveal to us two things. God's word is going to reveal to us his attributes or his being, and it also reveals to us his work, what God does. It reveals to us who God is and what God does, his attributes. Things like, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. I'm singing a shorter catechism, how I learned it. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And reveals to us in God's word who he is. Well, God is a spirit. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's, he's, he's unchangeable. He's almighty. He's amazing. But God's also, uh, his word will reveal to us his work and what God does. And that will reveal his character as well. For example, God, I'm going to tell you about three works of God. 
God's works of creation. You start the book, you hear how God created everything. Amazing God. He creates everything. Watch this. Here's what he uses. Nothing. Ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God creates everything. Let me tell you how he does it. He speaks it into his existence. What does that reveal about God? Man, is he powerful. As you look at the cosmos, what does it reveal about God? Man, is he, is he mighty to hold them all together? Man, is he wise. How did he do it all? How does he keep us spinning in the perfect orbit? How, how did he speak the cosmos into existence? You see, God's creation reveals to us who God is, reveals to us what God values. Even in his creation, he's going to stop and pause and say, by the way, he's going to take a counsel that says, I'm making all things, but I'm going to make man in my image. God, the Father, Son, and Spirit say, I'm going to make man in my image. I'll make woman in my image. In the image of God, I'm going to make them male and female. And of all of creation, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to know and love them. So what does it reveal to us in creation? It reveals that life is precious. It reveals that to us because life is precious, because God is precious. Because God made us, all of us, in his image. Those who love him, those who don't. Those who are in an old folks' home and don't remember, and those who are in the womb. All of life, we'll see, has value because it reflects the value of God. That's in the work of creation. Then we see God's works of providence. God's works of providence is how he governs all things, uh, how all creatures he sustains. All things are governed by his hand. And there's a mystery to this because our world is broken. Our lives are broken. And there's a lot of bad things in our world. But scripture tells us that our God is in control of everything. That he's a sovereign ruler over the universe. Can you imagine a God who's not sovereign over all things? Would you want to know that God? Would you want to worship that God? Let me ask you this question. If there were one atom outside of God's ultimate control, wouldn't you fear that one atom? Wouldn't you wonder about that one atom? But scripture says, let me tell you about God. All things are in his hands. He's got this. It looks like chaos, but to him, the darkness is light. And he's got a plan that's unfolding. And it's going to end marvelously well. And so that's kind of part of God's providence. And then we see the God's works of redemption, kind of his capstone, how God has covenanted with his son before time began to come rescue us. And how amazing of a story. Have you heard the story of God's rescue, that God would put on flesh to come get us? That God would live the life we failed to live, die the death we deserve to die, resurrect so that we could have life and life abundantly, so we could be forgiven, loved, and free? I mean, God's works of redemption in the Bible are so beautiful. Show me a God who not only suffers and understands suffers, but suffers with us and suffers for us. Show me a God who through his wounds we are healed. The works of redemption are so amazingly beautiful, and there's nothing like it. That is who our God is. It reveals his character. God loves sinners. How do we know that? Because God became one of us to rescue us. God is merciful. How do we know that? Because he loves us, and he never gives up on us. So his works of redemption, his works of providence and creation, they all reveal who God is. But also it's, 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 it's God's attributes. What theologians describe God's attributes, the qualities of God, they break them into two different categories. Now, we're getting deep now. Stick with me. All right, hang on. The attributes of God, as we look at that, there's two types. There's the incommunicable attributes, and there's the communicable attributes. Now, let me tell you what that means. Incommunicable attributes are the things that God doesn't share with us. It's the things that make God, God. Think of the omnis. He's omniscient. He knows all things. We don't. He's omnipotent. 
He's all-powerful. We're not. He's all-wise. We are not. Uh, he's omnipresent. We are not. These are the attributes of God that make God God, that make us knees buckle, that make us a little bit like, wow, God, you are mighty, majestic, that make us, and that word, fear him and love and reverence and awe. Those are the incommunicable attributes that make God God. But there's different things. They are communicable attributes, the things that he shares with us. God is loving. So are you. God is knowing. So are you. God is, is, uh, is just. He, he's merciful. So are you. Those are some of the things that he shares with us. But God's uh, attributes are complete, and they're full, and they're robust, and ours aren't. So let me put it this way. God is loving, and so are you. But does your loving have an end to it? You know it does. Does your loving have the ability to cease? You know it does. His doesn't. His is eternal. He'll never stop. There's nowhere you can go outside of his love. So they're perfect. So we see those communicable and incommunicable attributes that describe who God is. And we see God's character revealed in his work, his creation, his providence, his redemption. And through all of these, we see that God is both merciful and just. Here's my point. You look at all of Scripture, and where you're going to land is we have a God who is a living and true God, and this God is merciful. But let me tell you, this God is just, and these are both true. He's a God who is a God of mercy, and he's a God of justice at the same time. So that's kind of the attribute and the quality of God. Let's go to the next point. God's mercy and justice is revealed to us in his word. Uh, as I read to you, out of Exodus 34, I love that. Uh, that is Moses. He's on the mountain receiving God's word. He's going to get him for the second time. And God's going to show up and do something amazing. He did to Moses. He doesn't do for us. In person, he's going to say, Moses, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to reveal my name for you. This is God in his own words, right? This isn't what we think, or Moses is writing what he thinks about God. This is what God tells Moses. And he tells him that he's merciful and just. Uh, he reveals to him his name. Let me read to you again. He says this, the Lord, that's Yahweh, this covenant God, passed before Moses and proclaimed, he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. Let me make sure he, in the Hebrew or the Greek, when it's repeated, that's the emphasis. The Lord, your Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and, and sin. Don't you love the fact when God wants to describe himself, what's the first thing he's going to say? Man, I am just so filled with mercy. I'm just so filled with the ability to forgive. I love sinners. This is who I am. At the core of my being, merciful. At the core of my being, forgiving. At the core of who I am. But he doesn't stop there. But he goes on to say, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Well, he's just. He can't just wink at sin. Many people in our world think that God is a merciful God, and he knows that we're sinners. But you know what he thinks? Oh, it's no big deal. You know what? I'm going to be a big cosmic scale, and if you do the right thing, you're going to be, you, that's good. If you do the bad thing, and hopefully at the end of the day, you're going to have more good than bad. Right? That's what most people think about God. But God, if, if he's perfectly holy, Scripture says he can hardly even look at sin. And if he's perfectly just, he's got to deal with every sin. Now, if he's perfectly just, think about this. Enter in with this. If God is perfectly just, there's not one sin 
he could wink at. He tells us in his word, his word the soul that sinned shall surely die. He tells us in the word, his word, the wages of sin is death. Is he just kidding? Is it true? Does sin lead to death? Is someone going to have to pay for that? And so we're going to see that he is both completely merciful and completely just. But how? Well, let's keep going. The psalmist will proclaim that reality too. Uh, Psalm 89, 14. I love this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Hit pause. Don't we all long for a throne, a judge, a world that's righteous and just? Well, this is the foundation of his, th his throne. And steadfast love, which can often be translated mercy and faithfulness, go before him. How does God lead? He will. He leads with mercy. Thank God. God led with judgment. We're all toast. He leads with mercy and faithfulness. They go before him. So justice and mercy together are the foundation of God's throne, and they go before him. He leads the way. Uh, as Psalm 145 again says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. I love that. He's good to all. The person who never knows him, whose wrath he still boards for him, he's good to him. How? And his mercy is over all he makes. Uh, he's made. So uh, God's mercy and justice is revealed in his word. But here's, a, here's amazing reality. God's mercy and justice are revealed in his son, Jesus. I want to read to you a very f familiar, beautiful passage out of the epistle that Paul wrote to the Romans. All of us need to hear and be reminded of this word. Romans 3, verse 23 through 26 says this about us. We're thinking about Jesus. We're thinking about Jesus as merciful and just. But yet, look at what Scripture tells us about us. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us were born that way, but all of us have sinned in thought, word, and deed. None of us are perfect. All of us have fallen short of God's perfection and are justified, which means we are made right, are justified, how? Uh, by his grace as a gift, we can't do it on our own, through the redemption uh, that is in Christ Jesus, by whom God the Father put forth as a propitiation, a payment, a covering, justice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Lean into this. you got to hear this. So that he, Jesus, might be just, righteous, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Wow. It says that Jesus is the just. What does it mean? Well... We just read that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, that none of us is just, not one. If you don't believe that, read earlier in Romans 3, tells us that. Read Psalm 14, read Psalm 53. We're going to realize not one of us in God's eyes is just. We have the same condition. We're broken, we're sinners, but Jesus doesn't have that condition, that he is different. Scripture will say that he is made like us in every way, that he is truly human, not kind of human, truly human, yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15.
that John the Baptist will describe Jesus as the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the sinless one. Well, how do you have Jesus being made like us, but different than us and not in sin, if we're all born sinners? And here comes that beautiful truth that he's born of the virgin. The only re way that he could enter the world sinless is conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is why theology is so important. This is why God's word is so important. If he was not born of a virgin, Jesus is not our savior. If he is not born of a, a virgin, he is not sinless. And if he is not sinless, he's not the spotless lamb of God. He is not the savior of the world. Don't put your hope in him. But the story has to hold together. It has to hold together that he is a sinless one. And what did he say on that, that mount? It was amazing. He says, listen, let me make sure you all know, I did not come to abolish the law. He's saying this, I'm filled with grace and truth. Yes, it's true. I'm filled with mercy. But I didn't come to wink at sin. I didn't come to say it's not a big deal about the Ten Commandments. I didn't come to say that's not important. I didn't come to abolish the law. I come, watch this, he says, to uphold it. I come to magnify it. I come to fulfill it. How beautiful of our Savior, the just, the just who has come to fulfill the law. You see, Jesus is not just the just, but watch this, Jesus is the justifier. He is the only one who could leverage and have us sinners become justified. This is the great gospel exchange. Have you heard of it? Let me tell you what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For your sake, listen to this, you can't miss this. God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. This is what's saying. The cross of Christ, that symbol of agony and death, is the greatest symbol ever. Because it's at the cross of Christ that the, the ultimate place where God's mercy and God's justice meet. You want to want, if God is merciful and just, look at the cross. Why? Well, the psalmist, not even well before Jesus arrived, Psalm 85.10 says this, Steadfast love, mercy, covenant faithfulness, steadfast love and mercy meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Can I ask you a question? Where does mercy and faithfulness meet? Where do righteousness and peace kiss each other? Where does the peace of God go straight head on to the righteousness of God? Where does the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God all meet? Is that not the cross? Is that the beauty of the cross, the cross of Christ? You see, Jesus is the just. And Jesus and Jesus alone, no one else is the justifier. He's the only one who could give us his righteousness and take our sin. He's the only one that on the cross could absorb the Father's wrath for sin, our sin, and give us the Father's pleasure. Jesus is the just and the justifier, but Jesus is also the judge. Jesus and Jesus alone is the just one. He and Jesus and Jesus alone the justifier, and Jesus and Jesus alone is the judge. Let me give you a couple passages. Many of us don't see Jesus as judge. Many of us only see Jesus as Savior. But this is what God's word says. 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Jesus is to judge the living 
and the dead. The book of Acts says the same thing, Acts 10.42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone uh, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That he and he alone. There's a great story in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's a story that Jesus himself tells. And it tells us of what's to come. And it's, it's a parable. It's, it's told in language that kind of describes truth in ways that makes us sheeps and goats. But it says this in, in verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man, Jesus, comes back in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a sheep separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is him doing the separating. And he'll say at the very end in verse 46, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know what this tells us? Jesus saves us from Jesus. Oh, come on. Jesus saves us from Jesus. If he's going to come judge the quick and the dead, if he's going to come and separate the, the goats and the sheep, if he's going to come and make the distinction who's in and who's out, Jesus saves us from Jesus. Now, that's why I said to you, it probably feels a little different than you ever thought of. You know, I mean, we have this great picture of him, this hair-blown uh, Fabio-looking Jesus that uh, has a nice little lamb on his shoulders. I love that picture, too. But I got to tell you, the Apostles' Creed, which we're going to say right before we take the Lord's Supper, will remind us he's coming to judge the living and the dead. Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is, is a great song, a psalm. Um, really, Psalm 1 and 2 kind of will tell you the whole Bible story. But Psalm 2 says this. It says that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords that God has put on the throne. And here's what he says. Psalm 2, 11 and 12. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. I love that. You want to you be safe? Embrace Jesus. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in your way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. We don't talk enough about the reality of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. But because God is holy and because God is just, his wrath burns against sin. But because God is merciful and because God is faithful and loving, Jesus himself absorbed that wrath so that we only know the love. But we can't separate the two. The world is perishing without Jesus. They just think that he's some nice guy that shows a moral example. If Jesus is your moral example, he is so much more. He didn't come to just show you how to be moral. He didn't come to show you how to be a little bit better. He didn't show you just how to live life. He came to radically rescue sinners. He came and put on flesh to come and get us and to take us home. And he would battle the demons of hell to get us. 
He would absorb the Father's wrath. How hard was it for him to save us? He's on the cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only time in Scripture, Jesus doesn't call his Father, Father. Why is he saying that? Because he's absorbing the wrath of our sin on the cross. How hard was it for him to unite us? Is he just a rabbi who's a good teacher? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? He and he alone is the one who is just. He and he alone is the one who is merciful. And he and he alone, the only one we have hope. And in him, that is revealed. Kiss the son. Don't wink at him. Kiss him. Don't just think, oh, yeah, I can think about you. No, he's got to be Lord of lords, king of kings, or nothing. Right? I mean, so many people want to embrace Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher, somebody to follow a moral example. He's Lord of lords, king of kings, or he's a liar and a lunatic. Which one is he with you? May we say he's Lord. And in his Lord we see he's just and he's merciful. For those of you who by God's grace have embraced Christ as Lord and Savior, now God's mercy and justice is revealed through his people. He wants to reveal it through us. This is why it's so important we get this. Our world is so confused. Is God just loving? Is God just hateful? I mean, what is God doing? And if we don't see Jesus clearly, they don't see it. They've got to see it through us. Micah uh, 6 8, mercy and justice have to be two of God's family values that we embrace as his children. We need to hold them toge together, not just mercy alone, saying, well, listen, sin doesn't really matter. It does. Not just judgment alone, harsh and judgmental. Listen to Micah 6 8, a minor prophet that lived before Jesus. I think of the Babylon Bee. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a, it's a sarcastic thing on. Uh, the web. Uh, it's hilarious. They recently said that some of the minor prophets' parents were wondering, when are you going to become a major prophet? And I could just hear my dad asking the same question. God bless you, Dad. Micah 6 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Now, listen, when scripture is this clear, don't you want to lead in? Scripture just says, Okay, let me tell you, He's told you what is good and He's going to tell you what does the Lord require of you. But you ready for this? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The Lord requires us to do justice, because he's a just God. The Lord requires us to love kindness, because he's a loving God. The Lord requires us to walk humbly with our God, because he's God and we are not. That is our call. Zechariah 7.9, another minor prophet, says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppose, uh, oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. That is, Jesus is saying now to us, reveal to the world my love. Reveal to the world my justice and mercy by the way you walk with me.